This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. David's Bridal, known as the Walmart of wedding dress stores, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy this week. The Pennsylvania-based retailer is known for affordability and accessibility, at one point claiming that one in three U.S. brides had bought a dress in their stores. But that was no longer enough to keep it profitable, apparently. The reasons why likely have a lot to do with missteps in management of the company. But like many other retail chains, it's also facing competition from online companies as well as some changing trends. Kimberly Whitler is an assistant professor of business administration at the University of Virginia's Darden School of Business, and she's a former CMO of David's Bridal. She joins us on the phone, as does Jennifer Spector, director of brand marketing for wedding and registry website Zola. And also with us is uh, Carrie Follin, who is assistant professor in the English department at George Mason University and former editor of the fashion website Racked. Kim, Jennifer, Carrie, great to have you all with us today. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having us. Thank you all. Kim, with your time there in the past, I guess give us your thoughts on this bankruptcy filing and and what it'll mean for both the, the company and for the consumer. Well, I I think I've worked there about a decade ago, so it's been a while, and the management team has changed. Um, If you go back in time, when I worked there, primary ownership was by uh, was held by Leonard Green. They then sold that off to CDNR, and so as you look at a lot of what's transpired in the last decade, what I'm fascinated by is a lot of the media. A lot of the reports are focusing on the trends as being the driver of the bankruptcy. Although the trends are interesting, we knew about those over a decade ago. And so that's not new news. I think uh, a lot of the bankruptcy has to do with financing problems. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're, they're riding the ship. This is, you know, this has been coming for some time. It's been uh, kind of well documented in the press. They're hoping to come out of the bankruptcy soon. And as you've seen, uh, at least through the media, they're, you know, they're, they're keeping the stores open, et cetera, et cetera. They're honoring all the sales. But, but there's a, probably a combination of issues that drove the bankruptcy, financing problems being a very big part of it, um, the way in, in which everything's been managed. So as they transitioned from kind of the old management team, which I would, you know, my C, the CEO when I was there had really built and developed the David's Bridal that was, he was replaced, the CFO was replaced, a lot of the institutional knowledge of the company was replaced, largely by a lot of gap experts, you know, the company, the gap. Yeah. And so if you start digging into some of the decisions that they made, that could also be a big driver of, of the decline in the business. And, and I've seen quite a few comments uh, since this bankruptcy was, was announced, Kim, the fact that the understanding of running David's Bridal as a business is is a good bit different than what this leadership was used to in terms of running the gap and those particular stores. I, you know, I'll just give you kind of a, I'll share a story that, that highlights how big of a point you just made. You know, I grew up at Procter & Gamble, so I spent about a decade at P&G. I then ultimately ended up working at uh, PetSmart. I was the head of marketing strategy for PetSmart. PetSmart is a high-touch retailer. We had services. We also had products. I then ultimately became CMO of a home builder. A home builder is much like David's Bridal in that 
We were vertically integrated. We created our own product, and we had our own storefronts. We had 550 different model uh, communities. And so it was very similar in many ways to David Spridal. The purchase was a high-risk purchase. The consumer was emotionally engaged. It took a long time to purchase it. It wasn't like toothpaste. And despite that, when I entered um, David's Bridal, even though everybody around me had been working there for a number of years or decades, the CEO did not allow me to make one decision without spending three months in the field working in a store. So I spent three months working in every position in the store, despite, and I'd done this at PetSmart, despite my extensive experience across different categories, right. because you have to understand the consultant. They were a a linchpin in the business model. You ha- these were older women, typically, who ended up becoming therapists for the brides. They were friends. Many were invited to the weddings. You had to understand how precious they were. You had to understand the consumer experience at a visceral level. I spent three months doing that. Now, imagine getting rid of, again, I left before any of this transpired, but I, I can't fathom how that company, given the complex business model, it's unlike anything else. It is not like traditional retail. Um, And given the complex business model, I can't imagine getting rid of all that knowledge, not mine, the people around me, and then bringing in new people and perhaps commuting from San Francisco, not even being on the ground, what that might do to the understanding, the institutional knowledge of what makes David's bridal tick, that could be at risk. Jennifer, what do you, what do you think was a factor in, in what was happening with David's bridal? So it, I obviously can't speak to the inner workings um, of the business as well, but I think what we're seeing at Zola um, over the past five years since we started is that couples are really looking to have digitally native brands help support their wedding planning. So we were founded as a wedding registry business, Um, because folks did not like going into big box, big department stores. They didn't feel like they were able to find brands that they liked. Um, Hello? Yep. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. The music, so it's not true. And so we started as a wedding registry business, and then as um, more and more couples flocked to us, they really wanted help planning other aspects of their wedding that they felt were also broken and weren't really adapted to their lifestyle. So things like wedding websites, which we now offer for free to our couples, and we just launched wedding invites and save the dates. All of these things can be done online. All these things are integrated. They're all done in one app, and that makes it really easy for couples. So that's what we're seeing in the wedding business in general, is that couples are looking for things that are online, that fit their lifestyle. Um, We know that people are shopping online, but they want to have that high-touch experience they still want to do that online. So customer service is still really core to our business. Um, We field calls from couples and their guests, you know, all the time. But I think it's just important that these things are geared towards the millennial generation and kind of built in that way. Carrie, your thoughts? Yeah, well, I reported a piece for the Washington Post about this yesterday. And in the process of reporting it, I learned a new word, um, casualization. So, um, which I'm not sure exactly what that means from a business perspective, but I can tell you as a you know, fashion journalist what it means or translates to in terms of style, which means a, a move away from the big poofy wedding dress and all these other relics of traditional weddings, you know, dyed to match shoes, garter bags, tiaras, et cetera. 
844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Uh, Kim Whitler from uh, the University of Virginia joining us on the phone, along with Jennifer Spector uh, of Zola and uh, Carrie Follin of uh, George Mason University, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So, Kim, and several of the articles you mentioned the 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 finance part of it say that the company had been in financial dire straits for quite some time now, and even with the restructuring that I'm starting to see right now, how much of that fell on the current uh, leaders of the company? But how long, you know, how much did it also fall in maybe in past uh, leaderships as well? I mean, I, th- I think that's a fair point. You know, if you it, there's there's two elements to this. One is how much do you pay for the asset, and then the other is how much do you leverage. You know, so how much are you borrowing to pay for that? And you know, I can't actually speak to a lot of this is private. I can't yep. actually speak to who made what decisions when. But I think it's a valid it's a valid concern because uh it's just it's a valid concern to look into i think if you look there's a there's a good article um by retail dive because i want to make sure that i uh was looking for some publicly available information they said interestingly their comp store sales increased modestly at 0.7 percent now and this is i think in 2017 or 2018 that time period so the comp store sales are actually flat or up a little bit. Yeah. Um, their earnings and margins fell. Uh, but S&P analysts at the time described the, cap- the company's capital structure as unsustainable. They had a yeah. $520 million loan facility due this next year and $270 million in unsecured notes in 2020. So, I mean, th- this, is, this has been foreshadowed since the early part of this year. I believe they've been working on the on the you know prepackaged kind of bankruptcy, and they're hoping to come out of it soon. Carrie, uh, then I mean there is obviously an element of of this uh, that you know you have the financials, which are a, a significant concern uh, because of of where this company was headed. But there is a little bit of shift, like a lot of retailers right now, of as Jennifer mentioned, of what brides want, uh, and yeah. if if in fact. The, the numbers that, that uh, David's Bridals mentioned about having one in three U.S. brides had bought their dress uh, through their stores, they had a significant market share of, uh, of this industry. Yeah, well, um, to be clear, that is David's language. Yeah. Um, other people do confirm that they you know, own about a third of the market share, but it's David's language to say that they outfit one in three brides. Um, but it is, you know, as I think both Tim and Jennifer mentioned, it's it's clear that what brides want has changed pretty dramatically over the last 10 years or so. Um, part of that is the millennial move towards customized experiences, things that feel personal to them rather than traditional. Um, interestingly, the LGBT community has had an impact on the wedding industry. You know, as the marriage equality movement has happened, you know, they had to make their own traditions, and that has opened the floodgates in a little, in a way for other people to change their you know traditions. Um, and brides are older now than they used yeah. to be, um, thirty one according to some sites. That's the average. And you know, suddenly, if you're paying for your own wedding and you're no longer a young girl, you're making a different kind of decision than you might if you're a twenty two year old bride. 
Yeah, and Jennifer, that was going to be my next point, is the fact that when we hear the stories of, of women deciding to wait longer to, to get married, that would seemingly tell me that there is going to be some sort of lag in there in terms of the business for this industry as a whole. Instead of seeing more women get married 26, 27, waiting to their early to mid-30s, that's a, that's a, a part, a segment of the industry that they're losing, at least for several years. Yeah, I think it's while people are waiting, both men and women are waiting longer to get married, they're doing things that still exhibit the behavior of a married couple without the wedding necessarily. So, you know, we're seeing that at Sola, over 80% of our couples move in together before they get married. Um, So that shifts some of the things that they might be looking for when they're registering um, they might have the, you know, kitchenware, but they want to upgrade to nicer pots and pans. But then they're also looking to register for more experiences like, you know, we offer Airbnb or Delta or things like that. Things that are more geared towards the travel than just a core home registry. So I think the business is in some cases catching up to people when it comes to getting married later because they're just shifting their preferences from one thing to another, but there's still a really strong demand for weddings. Um, I don't have the exact figure, but, you know, some people, you know, there's still around $35,000 that people spend on their weddings annually. So um, these are still big life moments and people still want to celebrate. They're just doing it in a different way and they're shifting their dollars from maybe some more traditional um, elements like the wedding dress to spending less on a wedding dress, but spending more on having like a taco truck at their after party for their wedding. So um, the industry is still huge. It's just being allocated in a different way. But Kim, does that mean that that as David's bridal goes through this bankruptcy and they get everything squared away, does it mean that they have to kind of change their mindset uh, of, of what their expectations should be moving forward? Yeah, if, if, if I could actually, um, I'd love to talk a little bit just yep. for a second about the trend piece because I want to I put a different kind of flavor on that. Yeah. So we've known for two decades, I mean, the shift, this isn't an overnight shift. So when I was there, they did a lot of modeling. They could predict, they'd look at the number of women of marrying age, they'd model out the shift in the average age, it's not like people jumped from average age of 23 to 31 overnight. Right. This is a gradual shift. They, the, the casualization, uh, as you mentioned, of, of the wedding has been happening for some time. There's a, a religious component to this, fewer church weddings. A lot of that um, has been baked in for, for decades. Okay. Um, but what's interesting is, and what we had in the models, is that we now are in the millennial space. The Gen X space, the Gen X women or the Gen X generation was considered the, ba- the, the baby bust generation. So it was smaller. And so you actually see in 2016 more weddings. You had 2.25, roughly 2.25 million weddings. That was about the same number of weddings way back in 2005. And between 2005 and 2016, you were getting the finishing end of the Gen X uh, period, which was a smaller cohort, so right. you had fewer weddings. So when you modeled it out, the casualization of the wedding, yes, that's true. Women getting older, yes, that's true. Because women are getting older, the financing of the wedding, wedding is shifting to the wedding party, and so they're thinking about how they spend their money differently. It's not no longer the parents. 
all these things have been predicted for some time. They've been coming for some time. What I, I don't think has changed is that when you think back to weddings still occur, they're still a very important thing. They're more in 2016 than 2007 through 2015. So there's there a lot of them. We've got, a, the, from a competitive standpoint, you've got Alfred Angelo's going bankrupt. You have a number of, of groups uh, shuttering their bridal business. So you have Banana Republic, The Gap, shuttering their business. Actually, what you would expect then is a David's bridal to be able to garner more market share. Um, that's what you would expect through all of this period. And if they can, you know, if they can get the financing right and if the management challenges, if they can understand the business model um, and, like you're mentioning, adapt to the needs of millennial women who are shopping online who are you know who still buy bridal magazines who still love the glossy pictures yeah. if they can adapt to all those things effectively they should be okay but it's a question mark how much of a digital component has there been with with David's in recent years and how much did, did you uh, you know have that uh, as a component when you were CMO there so it's it's interesting because of course online uh, when i was there online was not a significant part of the business but it was a business, and we were developing it. Interestingly, David's Bridal, I, it's hard to put into context how big that business was. I worked on Tide. Okay, We think of Tide as being dominant in their marketplace. Right. Tide had much greater competition than did David's Bridal. David's Bridal was bigger in its space than Tide or Nike. It was dominant the, the, you know, as a very significant market share. The next largest player was Alfred Angelo, and at the time, you know, they're maybe a 12% of the market. It was small. Right. Um, and so because of that, almost every bride visited David's Bridal website. Almost every bride who was shopping visited David's Bridal website. We had a ton of traffic. Right. So we were nearly, if you looked at us versus the knot, not, the knot is an aggregator, we had a lot of eyeballs on the David's Bridal website. We also had other services. Now, I don't know what's happened since then, but that was a key element of the business was to access women through online vehicles. Yeah. And then, of course, women wanted to try on the gowns. Bridal gowns are unlike anything else. They require some unique fitting, alterations, et cetera. Um, but we were, at the time, trying to look at how to serve you know, women who wanted simple gowns that you could purchase online and they would have to alter them on their own. But but adapting the model is going to be critical given changing consumer habits. And I know they yeah. were looking at it then. I'm sure they are looking at it now. Carrie, your thoughts? Yeah, well, I'm curious um, from a just sort of a fashion detail perspective about the shift, the specific shift when women became willing to buy their wedding dress online. Um, I think that is maybe the last sort of holdout in the retail space, what women were willing to buy and not buy. And that's that's pretty recent. Um, and I do see when I personally go to David Bridal's website, it doesn't have the same feel as a Beholden or, you know, some of these other more editorial sites. So I, th I think, you know, I'm curious about that. How can David Bridal's put it in that way? Jennifer? I think one thing that Kimberly was saying, um, you know, it's, that's the fact that Arthur Angelo went out of business and that David Spiral should be able to capture more of that market share. does make sense. But one thing that we're seeing across the entire wedding industry is that it's contracting across the board. So 
you mentioned, you know, bridal magazines. We saw that Martha Stewart Weddings is no longer publishing. Yeah. Um, most of Brides magazine is up for sale. So I think what we're seeing is that the whole wedding industry is contracting, um, in part because a lot of that was really high touch. It's a very, traditionally very, you know, entrenched industry. And people are just moving their dollars online and to less traditional wedding businesses. So you mentioned Beholden as part of anthropology. They've sort of been able to adapt and kind of create that experience. But you can also go into an anthropology and shop for other things and shop for your bridesmaid dress in a way and then, you know, loop in with Beholden. So I think that um, a lot of just as wedding businesses are contracting and downsizing and some are going out of business, um, more mass retailers or even more niche retailers who can just be direct to consumer online are picking up the slack. Um, so it's a very interesting kind of fork in the road for a lot of couples getting married because they either know a brand that they grew up with that's no longer there or they're willing to experiment with a completely new company that's just geared more towards their lifestyle. So then, Carrie, is this is what's happening with David's Bridal it just a little bit, again, of a microcosm of what's going on in retail in general right now? Oh, yeah, I, I think so, for sure. Um, everybody, you know, in the retail space, particularly older behemoth companies like David's Bridal, um, if you think about department stores, for example, have had the same issue learning how to adapt to this new customer in the digital space. Um yeah. Kim, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's. I was digging around, again, because it's privately held, it's difficult to get any sort of financial information on the company. And so I was, I was just surprised that their comp store sales increased by 0.7%. I was expecting, based on everything that I was reading, that they would be down and potentially down significantly. Um, so I, I – but, but I think the, the – the broader need to understand the changing consumer, um, the ability to adapt to online, offline kind of integration. Yeah. I mean, th- those are common across a lot of retailers. Yeah. Well, I, I guess in kind of wrapping this up then, when you compare what's going on in retail in general right now, Kim, uh, Toys R Us obviously you know shutting its doors, and a lot of people have said because Toys R Us was kind of a seasonal store, the, the toy store is a seasonal entity to begin with, a bridal store, realistically, there is a season for it, mm-hmm. but it is more across the entire calendar than it, than it would be with Toys R Us. Yeah, it, it definitely there's 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 bridal Christmas, which happens after actually our Christmas, and uh, it is seasonal. But again, the, you know, the one thing to remember is that for weddings, the one keepsake that you have forever is the picture, and unless yeah. something's changed about the importance of that picture to the children, to the grandchildren, having it up on the wall. Unless something's changed and that picture has become less important, um, I, I find it hard to believe that the, the, that, the, you know, that the wedding gown itself will kind of disappear. Now, maybe what's popular, the trend, the look. Do we have headpieces? Do we not have headpieces? Right. Those type of, you know, if, if it's on a beach, well, I don't want a big poofy gown if it's a destination wedding versus if I'm in a church. And so, um, but I, I, I have a hard time believing that anytime soon, the importance, the emotional connection to the gown, the picture as a memory keepsake, um, I, I, I just don't think that's going away. 
Great having you all with us today. Kim, Jennifer, Carrie, thank you all, and happy Thanksgiving to you all. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.